She's accused of an elaborate fraud scheme. A huge telemarketing fraud. Speaking with the victims was heart-wrenching. If I can talk to the people that scam me, I would say, would you do this to your mother? Jen Shaw pled not guilty to the charges that she's facing. Her defenses are that she's not the one that is selling these other services. She's just providing leads. She shouldn't be criminally liable. Jen going to trial is going to be really, really... Shaw amazing. Wild. I don't know what I'm looking at. Start the show so I can ask. Welcome to Cord Killers, the Shaw about watching the stuff you love when you want, <laughs> where you want, however you want. I'm Tom Merritt. Tom, I'm Brian Brushwood, but more importantly, <laughs> I spent the first half of this thinking it was a documentary about somebody married to a pro wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> Bryce, what what was that? So this is a weird, this is a little weird. There's a trailer for the Hulu and ABC News Story, ABC News Studios short documentary. The Housewife and the Shaw Shocker. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the Shaw. So, Not that Shaw. So okay, this, got it. Also, there's the magician who does the, the Shocker, a wrestling character. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. And then there's the overthrown uh, monarch from Iran. Oh, the Shaw. Right. The Shaw, yeah. So this is about uh, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City cast member oh, Jen God. Shaw. Um, who was charged with running a telemarketing scheme. Um, this is a 50-minute documentary that ABC <laughs> News has put together. It is on Hulu right now. It, it came out today. Um, hold on, hold on, yeah. hold on. Yes, Tom? It's not illegal to run a telemarketing scheme. Uh, also, also, so what to was me, she the real, actually charged with? To, also, to me, the real shocker was that there was a real Housewives of Salt Lake City. <laughs> That's right. It's a relatively new one. Um uh, a long-running telemarketing scheme that preyed on the elderly, says the copy. Uh, uh, okay. So, uh, so, okay. Gotcha. so, so uh, uh, unscrupulous telemarketing, it would seem. But this all right, is, all right, all right. This I, just, is, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know. If, I wanted to know a little more about the nature of it. Thank you. Yeah, and this is another of these like, like investigative pieces on Hulu. A lot of them are in 2020 or in like uh, yeah. ABC News or something. But this is like it's all part of the Disney family now since Disney owns Hulu. So yeah, and so it's interesting because I don't think you could get like a 90 minute doc out of this, but a, mm -hmm. an hour long, under an hour makes some sense. So check that yeah, out. ABC News would would have uh, would have ditched this story. They wouldn't have approved it back in the day. But now that they have Hulu, they're like, all right, Let's fine, do make it. your 50 minute documentary uh, although, and make I, shots I, at Universal. Although Bryce, I must uh, confess, I definitely. Definitely watched a 90-minute documentary on lines at, at Disney World. You <laughs> like, and so, two million so. other people, I, I'm told. Hey, SoFi Stadium ought to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's on Hulu now. All right. Check it out. The Housewife and the Shaw Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the primary target. <laughs> Such a bad name. Uh, I just saw in Tom's eyes the, the decision gate of... Do I continue with the show, or for the next hour, do I just keep saying Shaw Shocker? <laughs> and, and and should I try to make it the Shaw in Shocker more like Shaw? Shaw shucks. Shaw, Shaw Shocker Shocker. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's let's try to try to set that aside. We'll see how successful we are. Uh, there's a new teaser for the Book of Boba Fett, uh, the Disney Plus series coming out December 29th, showing Boba in what looks like a, a Bacta tank. Uh, and then some of the same footage from previous trailers in there. It's not specifically a remake, but unless you consider it somehow related to the holiday special animated sequences, I guess. But it's certainly a reimagining. Uh, Boba seems pretty dead in Return of the Jedi. Uh, that back to tank seems to be ready to retcon that and explain more about how he got out of the Sarlacc pit. It's been alluded to in the books, but not with detail. The reason I'm even bringing up the idea of this, like, kind of falling in that category, there's also a trailer out this week for Peacock's series Bel Air coming next year. This is inspired by a fan film by Morgan Cooper and will star Jabari Banks as Will. Like the sitcom starring Will Smith, it will follow Will from the streets of West Philly to a mansion in Bel Air, California. But the trailer indicates this is going to be more of a drama with Banks reading some of the lines from Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff uh, Fresh Prince theme song, but in a dramatic tone to make it be like, this isn't a, a fun story about all the fellas. Uh, this is this is serious. This is about, you know, uh, the change in someone's life. Uh, these are not, of course, the first 
spins, offshoots, dark reimaginings in movies or TV. Uh, I know the knee-jerk response from a lot of folks when they hear this kind of stuff is, uh, if you're not part of the fandom of the property, why do we need more of this? Aren't there any original ideas out there? The fact of the matter is people love sequels and series. Publishing books has learned this, which is why most genre books these days, at least, are trilogies. Uh, you, you get more sales if you make it into a series. I think a better question than simply whether we like reboots or not uh, should be, what makes a good one? What makes it deserved? When should you do a reboot, a reimagining, a spin? And when when should we not and just say like, no, no, that that's a that's a bad idea. So uh, uh, current Brian is very patient with all of this and understands a lot more about what we crave. Pre-pandemic, Brian was complaining constantly about how we wanted more exotic flavors and why do we always have to have the same rehash of the same properties or whatever. But I remember clearly thinking, let's go back even farther, to Batman Begins, uh, the first Christopher Nolan movie uh, uh, with Batman. Uh, I remember thinking, this is patently ridiculous. It has been 20 minutes since the last Batman. This is too soon. This mm. should not happen. Instead, it turned out to be one of the greatest magic tricks I've ever seen in cinema history. Something that looked like an action movie that only in the last act revealed, pulled off the mask and revealed itself to be a comic book movie. It was and, wonderful. And then, and then led to The Dark Knight, a sequel to that, which is considered one of the greatest movies of all time by many people. Correct. And, and one of the most iconic comic book movies of all time, right? Uh, likewise, uh, go back in time even farther to when I was in high school and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, part of the reason that show did so well and was so novel and, and forgive me, fresh, uh, was that it was an age-old story of the fish out of water. Somebody promoted above their station, somebody who, who didn't, it, it was My Fair Lady only done as a, a, a rip-roaring hip-hop comedy or whatever. And so now we're just, going back again. So um, a couple of things that I take now as I've, I've done a little bit of storytelling over the last 20 years. Uh, a couple of things I take as bedrock is that um, we tend to drift back to uh, the core principles that make for a good story. Uh, once they become familiar, we like to flip everything upside down like a certain prince. Um, and then after we get bored or after we get familiar with that, we like to flip it over again. Uh, so, so in this, and by the way, the uh, two thoughts about these particular properties. One, the Fresh Prince, watch that trailer because they do the right amount of saying lines from the, uh, the opening of the show. And the one thing they do not say is the iconic line. He says, I'm going to sit on my throne. And in your head, you're already hearing he, uh, the voice saying, uh, the Prince of Bel-Air, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, right? Uh, it's brilliant in that regard. Um, separately on the Disney plus Boba Fett thing, there's two branches and I'll let you choose which one we explore uh, on this property specifically. I do find it very odd that uh, Boba Fett, a guy who, you know, John's all over the galaxy doing bounty hunter stuff would decide to become king of the smallest town in, in Texas. The the fresh Prince of Moss Eisley. <laughs> right. it's, it's, and, and, and unlike every other uh, uh, king of this 300 person town, I'm going to be fair. <laughs> like that, that's very weird to me. I was on the streets of Mandalore and I got swept away <laughs> to Tatooine. I got ate by a Sarlacc and then he burped. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting <laughs> on my throne, uh, completely usurped. Uh, the, uh, so, uh, but, but the more important thing is uh, the fact that Disney is already retconning so many different things makes me deeply question what I thought was a good idea at the time. When they first bought, when Disney bought Lucasfilm, they made that big deal about announcing how the only things that are canon are the six original movies. Everything else is legend. And I, I was deeply upset by this because I liked all the books or whatever. Uh, and, but then I came to peace with it thinking, oh, this will be great because now they get to pick and choose from the legends and make some of them canon. But now they're usurping canon with other canon. And now I'm realizing, oh, y'all were dumb. That was a bad idea. You should never have declared one side canon, one side legends, because now you really wish you could change that canon, which 
the, the, the book universe did constantly, but you had to declare these are sacred, these are not. And now you want to go back yeah. and mess with the sacred. I, I, I reserve the, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the opt op option, uh, to, to be impressed. Uh, I don't know if that's the right way to say that oh, if, if, by, by how they explain it. Uh, they, they've given a few hints along the way, both in the Mandalorian and in some of the books and comics about, about how Boba Fett might have gotten out of the Sarlacc pit, but, but we don't know for sure. Uh, and, I could be dazzled. We, we might both be dazzled. We might look at that and say like, oh my gosh, that makes perfect sense. What a great way of not retconning, of, of just saying like, you just didn't think it would have worked out that way, but it did. Plenty of examples of that in Star Wars that are right up front and center, right? Like right. Luke, well, and, and Luke should never, uh, he should never win uh, by all accounts, right? But he does. And, and, and they, they show us how a farm boy from Tatooine uh, can defeat the most powerful Jedi. And sit on the, the throne of Bel Air. And sit on the throne of uh, Mos Eisley. Uh, Endor? I, I, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and it, it, it just, just to clarify, in case somebody wants to write in with their thoughts at cordkillers at gmail.com. Let me make it clear that uh, I'm out of the business of saying something's going to be good or bad. I've been surprised yeah, yeah, too sure. many times. Uh, this could be very, very good. Um, is it necessary? That's a different discussion. Or it, well, and I, I think that's, that, that's where I want to go is, is that it's, it's easy to just look at something, go old, don't like it. I, I'm not going to like it. And then sure you can try it anyway and then change your mind later and go, wow, that Mandalorian, I guess that one was pretty good or whatever it is that you like. I, I prefer to be like, well, let's let's go into it with a more open mind, personally, and and see what they've got, and hey. and what I like to think about is like, what what would impress me? What would show me? I, and I like what you were saying about Bel Air, which is they didn't, uh, they said, look, this was a story that worked as a My Fair Lady with unexpected characters in the '80s, but those characters are not that unexpected. So if we're gonna use the best elements of that story and do what it did to my fair lady, then we need to change the tone and say like this, we're not giving you a spoonful of sugar to make it, make it go down easier. Let's, let's get real. Let's what would actually happen uh, if a West Philly kid uh, who is black moves to Bel Air in this situation, which, you know, I, is, it was all partly based on Will Smith's life. So it's, it's a chance for Will Smith to go, let me inject a little more of my actual life into this. And I'm very curious about that. It, are they going to do that with Boba Fett like they did with the Mandalorian and say like, look, maybe you won't even care how he got out of the Sarlacc pit because we have such a great story to tell. It is a little weird that he's sitting on a throne and he was a bounty hunter uh, before. So, you know, they're up front and center saying this is what it's about. It's about him taking over uh, Jabba's uh, empire. I'm a little skeptical about that, but I'm thinking of trying to think like, how would that work? Is he going to start a co-op? Is he changed his ways? Did he have a revelation in the Sarlacc pit? Uh, is, is he, is he got a vengeance motif then that's why he needs all this extra firepower. Is it filling the gap of, of the empire, which is what a lot of the Mandalorian was about. Uh, there's a lot of ways that could go that would interest me. So I have a proposal and it's something I sincerely would like to hear cordkillers at gmail.com, whether or not it works for everybody. Um, moving on to the question of why, why do we keep seeing all these reboots? Why do we keep seeing the same things? Uh, and the answer is Toy Story, by which I mean Toy Story was a new IP, and that's what we loved about it. It's a brand new intellectual property. However, it was built on other properties. But weirdly, it wasn't built on the other properties. It was built on the fact that it's about a kid who only has the toys he has in front of him. He only has the toys that he has, and they don't belong in the same universe, and they all have separate stories. So he wipes the slate clean, and he tells the stories that he wants to tell with the characters he has, because that's what he has in his toy chest. He has nothing else. Sony is trying to tell stories, but they only have the toys that are in their toy chest. Disney has a very big toy chest, but they only have those toys. They don't have... Warner Brothers toys. Warner Brothers has certain toys. Uh, if, if we love what Toy Story was all about and we acknowledge that you have only the toys that you have, and if you're able to play pretend, you know, like, yeah, give me, give me, the, fine. 
go ahead and reuse your little Bo Peep, only this time maker of the Road Warrior, and I'm in. You know, go ahead, reuse this 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 Woody and mash him up with a spaceman. Fine. That's that's what you have. And you gotta tell something, don't you? And 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 I understand that some some of you probably are like, yeah, but can't you just make new toys? Why do you have to always use the same old toys? And the answer is, it's really hard. Uh, the, the fact that you hate every movie that comes out that's new <laughs> shows just how hard it is to create a new toy so uh, here's, out there. So here's the framework. Look at Andy and ask, why are you playing with the toys that are in your chest? Why are you not downstairs casting a mold uh, melting plastic and building new toys so that you can actually have a robot instead of pretending a dinosaur is a robot dinosaur. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the answer is, is because it's easier and it's more fun to play with the toys that you have. And, and, and getting a new toy is, is not an everyday occurrence for, for most of us. Uh, it wasn't growing up. Uh, and, and Buzz Lightyear is so special because he's new and that doesn't always happen. Uh, and so, yeah, we're, we're going to have stranger things, you know, the Buzz Lightyear come along every once in a while. And you're like, wow, that's really fun. That's really good. Maybe you'll bore of it faster than you did of Andy. Uh, maybe it won't last as long as the other toys and, and maybe it'll break. Uh, that's the other thing about new toys is the ones that have been around for a while, you know, you like, and you know, they're durable. <laughs> so that's another reason to keep you. I really like this metaphor. This metaphor is really right. And, yeah. and, and uh, it's got that double layer of irony on the fact that out of this limitation in a child's mind comes the original IP of, of Toy Story, which. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's great. And, 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 you know, the other thing I just wanted to throw into this conversation to, to show that is Star Wars was not was a new toy. And it didn't have any sequels and they made the empire strikes back. And if you would have told, if you would have had the power then to be like, no, we only need new ideas. Stop making, no, we're not making sequels. You wouldn't have the empire strikes back. Granted, that you, doesn't, you wouldn't have that whole every, galaxy. Yeah. It doesn't exclude every sequel or series. It doesn't excuse them all and say they're all great. Uh, but you, you, you need to be asking like, what makes a good sequel? How can they, how can they expand their universe to make it fun to play with these toys and not break them uh, and and not have us lose interest in uh, them? I think I think that's where my head's at. Anyway. Bryce, can I unfairly ask you to stand in as proxy for the audience who are have their fingers over keyboards right now and ask whether or not there's anything to this argument? Uh, um, uh, what what I'll say is like the thing that I don't love about readaptations and reboots is that they don't seem designed for me if that makes sense like uh, like cow like take cowboy bebop right which which just came out like sure not, like i have a good i think that there's a good reputation behind the name cowboy bebop and i think the fact that it's called cowboy bebop is what got me to watch all of the episodes that i've seen so far um but at the end of the day it's still like not even that original show. So you either need to make major changes to something like that to show like, hey, this is an exercise in something that we're doing, or you're in this kind of no-win scenario of trying to replicate the feeling of the original thing, but in a different medium or as a as a sequel or, you it's, know, it's try like to strike oil twice. And I just don't, I, 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 I totally understand that like when you do this, you do this for a practical purpose and pragmatic effect. People know the name of this thing. And so you're going to start with more than zero, which is the big thing for a lot of like in development. That, that is something I hadn't considered is that there's an uncanny Valley because mm -hmm. are you, that's a thing to try to avoid. Are you, Correct. And, and it might be that cowboy bebop falls into an uncanny Valley where a lot it doesn't do. drill deep enough to be rewarding for people who love the original but also is not different enough to reward, you know, to feel new. Right. Why wouldn't you just watch the original if what you're trying to do is recapture the original? That's interesting. If you're not changing. And so it, it just ends well, up this and, being. And we could get too far down a Cowboy Bebop well, route. Yeah. So see previous episodes and after talk uh, about that. But the fact of the matter is not all adaptations work for everybody. And that one didn't work for you for those reasons, which are very yeah. good reasons. Uh, what and, I want to know is mm -hmm. what adaptations, reboots, sequels, have you liked? I mean, I liked Hannibal when we when we covered it for spoiler time, but that's a very different take, right? They change a lot about that story. They re they present it in a different way. 
otherwise i i can't think of i can't really think of any that are that are notably better than the original bryce i can think of one and even you can't deny it it was when frame rate ended and Cord Killers was born. <laughs> sure, yeah. Thanks ah, to the, the fantastic 1,000 plus patrons over at patreon.com slash cord killers. That's right. You guys keep us loud, live, and independent, telling us the story as it was originally intended to be a cord cutting revolution to bring you what you want, when you want, exactly on whatever device you feel like. Uh, we love our 1,000 and four of you guys. Ooh. Some of you guys are on the fence right now. Now's a good time to jump in. We want to stay in that comfy four digit land of, of, of you I'd, I'd be real sad if we dip below a thousand uh, uh, bosses yeah if we go if we go below a thousand one of us goes back to the future the original not a sequel where the hand just starts fading away <laughs> or worse yet yeah, one lose. of us gets replaced with a sock puppet we should do that yeah. if we actually actually now people are going to quit on purpose just to see <laughs> yeah. no but, we but, will but, bring the sock puppet if we don't go below a thousand okay there we you will go. bring on a sock puppet co-host at some point in the future but only if we don't go below a thousand people patreon.com slash cord killers let's talk about how to watch Uh, we've got a very interesting uh, situation going on in Italy. There is a streaming service called It's Art uh, that has launched across the, uh, the EU, 26 European countries, commissioned by Italy's culture ministry. Uh, so this is 51% owned by the country, Italy, 49% owned by Chile TV, uh, which itself is backed by Warner Brothers, Paramount, Fox, and Sony. The idea of this is a way to bring the art of Italy, opera, architecture, painting, music, film, to people on demand. The idea came about during the pandemic when you couldn't go to the opera. You, you, everything was locked down. Uh, they wanted to bring that sort of stuff to, to more people. And they found there were people who said, you know what, I, I really enjoy accessing this. And I wouldn't have even if we weren't locked down. Can we keep this coming? So they created It's Art. Uh, it's really interesting. It's ad supported, but it's also not a monthly fee. Uh, so it's not free. You have to pay per item, but it's between like three and 10 euros, uh, depending on, on what you're looking at. And it's on demand. I don't know how invasive the ads are. I, they better not be too invasive, or this is just a silly idea. I'm wondering if it's just a pre-roll or even if it's just ad supported on, on the website uh, or the app where you pick it. But the whole system is is divided up into three sections. Stage for purchasing access to operas and dramas and such. Stories is uh, full of a few hundred Italian movies and documentaries. And sites is travelogues, uh, tours of historic sites in Italy, architecture, stuff like that. Uh, so I know everybody's tired of more choices. And I'm, I want to know more about the ad-supported part of this. If it was purely transactional, I'd, I'd sort of be right behind it. But what do you think of this model, Brian, of, of saying, look, this is niche, this is culture, it promotes our culture in Italy. Uh, we work with with people in Italy who are preserving our culture and, and make it available to more people. Uh, here's what I suspect. Uh, actually, I, I won't even speculate there. Um, uh, I, here's what I fear, is that this is a mushy middle solution. If this was 100% commercial, then what that means is that a company said there is such a rich tapestry in Italian arts that we can make a mint by bringing it to the world. And I would understand that. And it may or may not be successful. If this was 100% like the BBC uh, or, or whatever institution uh, uh, funded by the government where they say, uh, you know, our policy wonks over in the tourism board have run the numbers and... Uh, our biggest problem, the reason tourism is down is not because blank, blank, blank. It's because not enough people know about all the wonderful things here in Italy. So we're going to do this as a lost leader. And we don't really care if it makes money or not, because our real goal is to get people to Italy. That I would understand. This, um, how you end up with a 51% state-owned, state-funded, 49% private-owned, private-funded Netflix mashup that vaguely exports uh, Italian culture. I num uh, number one, this has this has not a commercial success written all over it, but it doesn't have to if it's right. intended for different purposes. Um, 
I, 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 I don't expect much out of this outside of a few people to be able to use it as a background to encourage, you know, to, I don't, I, I don't know. I, Tom, may I speak plainly? I think this is dumb. It's a bad idea. It's the worst of all world. It's the mushy middle. Uh, the libertarian in me hates it because it's 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 clearly meant to not be a success. The uh, 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 the, the, the the person who wants to go to Italy hates it because it's clearly not going to be good. I I don't know if it won't be good. Uh, I'm 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 with you on the mushy middle of like ads versus pay. If it's like, hey, here's a store. We've worked with uh, the the people who preserve the greatest films of Italian history and made the documentaries, and and we've created this great store. If you're into Italy, uh, or you think you might be, three euros, and you can watch uh, the the greatest documentary uh, about the building of the Colosseum or whatever. Right? I I'm like, you know what? That's just a good cultural institution. The reason you give a stake to Chili TV is because they're going to operate it, right? And that's your way of saying, hey, do this for us, run it for us. And then you'll have a stake in it. And I think that's smart. It's a nice government private partnership uh, because it's culture. I think the government has a place personally in, in doing this where it gets weird is the ad, the ad supported part of it for me. That really is where I get hung up. It's like, well, then why, why do you make it? Cause the one thing people hate is I have to pay and watch ads. Like I, I can watch ads and it's free it's, or I it, can pay to get rid of ads. It uh, might, that, that's where I really get hung up. It might be the Voltron of bad ideas. It's a state run, state funded propaganda. Well, state funded. It's not really state run. Chili TV is running it. Well, sorry. If they own 51%, I'm going to say, well, sorry, you're, you're right. They don't make state the owned, but privately run. Correct. Uh, uh, important decisions will be made by the state though. Right. Uh, uh, and, and. Sure. I ultimate ultimate say over everything. I, yeah, yeah. I don't think that I'm out of line by saying that the reason they're doing this is for propaganda purposes. But also, what if it's propaganda that you have to pay for and also <laughs> watch ads in order to sit through? I hate this, Tom. Some people I might call this. I, okay, counterpoint. Some people might call the thing that you're describing every Marvel movie. <laughs> uh, well, uh it's, like propaganda for the United States. Yeah. Like oh, I see. Military. Because again, yeah, not everything is about the Coliseum. Some of these are just great Italian films of, of history, right? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I, it's propaganda, but in, those, in the sense of like, let's let's show you what it, what's great about Italian history. And if every country or every culture, let's say, had this, like there was there was a Spanish uh, one and there there was a Norse one and there's a Japanese one and a Chinese one. Uh, I, I think there'd be really, I think this would be really interesting to be like, oh, let me dip in to their culture and what do they think are their jewels? Maybe it only cost me a couple of bucks, a couple of euros uh, to sample a few of these. I, I kind of feel like that's, that's an online museum, right? Like that's no different than, than, than running a museum. Sure. In which case I'm, I'm all, I'm all into this. I really only get hung up on the ad part of it. That classic uh, otherwise museum. Otherwise it's a, it's a that... showcase, you know, it's, it's the office of tourism really cool it's it's that classic museum where you pay to enter and mm -hmm. then they stop every 15 minutes to tell you if you have irritable bowel syndrome yes, maybe exactly. ask your doctor that's really where i get hung up i'm like when i go to the museum yeah okay i might see like this was you know this exhibit was underwritten by an oil company or something but they're not gonna like play a 30 second ad about you know filling up at the gas station before i can go look at the dinosaur bones that's it's crazy uh you know so what this i really want to know i'm i guess i'm hoping that the ad supported part of this because it's such a throwaway in the variety article I, i'm hoping that it's it's very minimal um, or, or not even related to the streaming but yeah if you're we can't try it because we're in the u.s this is only in the 26 european countries so uh let us know cordkillers at gmail.com anyway I, I liked it i think i liked it mostly because it was an example of a streaming service where you didn't have to subscribe, and there might be things of value in there. It's, I mean, you know. I like it just because it's crazy, and I like anyone who does anything crazy, including state institutions running propaganda, I don't know if I like you it. paying for it, and then watching ads. But it's art. All right, let's talk about what to watch <laughs> and under surveillance. Like it's all about location, location, under surveillance. We have some good-ish news if you're in a country without Paramount Plus and are also one of the people who haven't given up on finding a legal way to watch Star Trek Discovery. Viacom CBS has decided to bring Star Trek Discovery's new season to Pluto TV. 
in Austria, France, Germany, Italy, Spain, Switzerland, and the UK. Uh, so in the US and Canada, there are other ways to get it. Uh, there are some other ways to get it in Latin America, as a matter of fact, because they have Paramount Plus uh, launching there. But if you're in a place that Paramount Plus hasn't launched yet, they're going to bring it to their Pluto TV. Uh, and again, it's those countries I just named. New episodes on Pluto TV will be available Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. To kind of have to keep watching it. Uh, it doesn't sound like it'll be available on demand afterwards. Pluto's free with ads. Uh, people in France, Germany, Russia, South Korea, and the UK are also going to be offered the ability to buy the fourth season from participating digital platforms like, like you know, Apple, uh, Google, those, those kind of places. Usually they don't do that until the season has finished streaming. So they're going to accelerate that uh, in those countries. It's not a panacea. It's not going to work for every person out there, uh, but it, it still it brings my theory, Brian, that someone won an argument and they had to scramble to put this in place because they're after the fact going, oh, we can also do these sensible things to help people watch it instead yeah. of pirating it. Uh, spoiler alert to anybody out there who thinks all of this is dumb as they move in fits and starts in a patchwork quilt manner. Uh, congrats. You're right. And somewhere, because <laughs> uh, trust me, uh, if they could take your money, Viacom CBS would very much like to take your money. Yeah. Sony producer Amy Pascal told Fandango that Tom Holland will return as Spider-Man in the Marvel Universe after the uh, the the new movie comes out. Uh, Pascal told Fandango's Eric Davis, this is not the last movie that we are going to make with Marvel. This is not the last Spider-Man movie. We are getting ready to make the next Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland and Marvel. It just isn't part of, and she stopped herself, we're thinking of this as three films, and now we're going on to the next three. I think she didn't know what phase she had to say it was, or was allowed to say. Anyway, uh, she goes on to say, this is not the last of our MCU movies. Uh, so if you were worried that like, okay, the deal's over, uh, they're doing Far From Home and that's it. Uh, well, guess what? Uh, no, they're planning on doing more. Sony, as a self-appointed representative who works pro bono, shut up. Stop talking. <laughs> Tom Holland, stop talking. Amy Pascal, stop talking. Let the Wait, movie why? come out. Why? Because, because, because you could watch them digging themselves into holes left and right. We've already decided we want to see the new Spider-Man movie. Shut up about what comes afterwards. Shut up about who's going to be. I disagree. There really? are a lot of people saying, because this, I don't think this is about don't see the next movie. They, they've already like crashed Fandango and, 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 and everything else get selling tickets. I'm not worried about that at all. This is, hey, we know there's a bunch of people who are thinking, you know, I'll watch this movie, but then you're going to F it up. Uh, we just want you to know that that's, that's not going away. In fact, it might be a favor to Marvel to be like, hey, uh, Eternals didn't do great. Can you make sure people are real excited and continue to stay excited after Spider-Man? Uh, man, maybe you're right, but my gut tells me you shoot the side of the barn first and then you paint the target around it. The more they talk, the more they're drawing a target, and the more they have to hit it in the middle. And if they just shut up, they could shoot anywhere they wanted and then draw a target around it. So if Eric Davis sits down with Amy Pascal and says, hey, you making any more Spider-Man movies after this? Or, you know, is, is, the, deal, is the deal now over? Oh, what, my God. What should well, Amy Pascal say? Do we ever love Spider-Man? Spider-Man's so great. So great. Can't wait. We will never stop loving Spider-Man, and we look forward to so much more. Amy Huge Pascal refuses idea. to confirm more Spider-Man movies. Headline, banner, headline, negative press for Spider-Man. They're gonna stop. No more Spider-Man movies. Uh, well, on one leg, uh, <laughs> I have seven more legs, by the way. <laughs> That's a lot of legs. Wow, that's uh, a mutant chicken right there. I mean, yes, you are correct. The the world of press junkets or, or press discussions or whatever is 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 thorny territory. But I'm 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 not here to talk tactics. I'm here to talk strategy. And strategy mm. is shut up. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, Netflix's animated series Arcane, uh, which is a prequel to the story told in the video game League of Legends, is Netflix's number one digital original in the United States, according to Parrot Analytics, as of the week ending November 19th. Uh, Parrot does its own estimation, but as we all know, Netflix's own charts are coming out, and Netflix's chart for the week ending November 21st, so a couple days off, has Arcane as the most popular English language series. So it kind of backs up 
what Parrot's saying. Uh, that's worldwide, too, not just in the U.S. It is the third most popular overall. Non-English shows, Hellhound Season 1 and The Queen of Flow Season 2 are both in front of Arcane uh, in numbers worldwide. Film-wise, Netflix has Red Notice number one overall with 129.1 million hours, far ahead of the number two English-language film The Princess Switch 3, Romancing the Star, uh, which only got 24.4 million. What, what are y'all doing? I was watching it baking cookies this week. Uh, it's a tradition in the house. Anyway, Red Notice is now the second most-watched movie of all time on Netflix, and Netflix expects it to become the most-watched. Do we happen to know, ha- have there been any other published yet? We've been talking about it for so long, it's hard for me to keep track. Ha- has there been published any other League of Legends stuff? Is this a, a first capture? This is their first time doing spinoffs and stuff. They've got games and stuff in the pipeline, but this is their first show, So I believe. Um, it, it makes me think, um, and we talked a little bit about this on the uh, uh, After Things podcast, um, uh, th- there's a temptation to look at big numbers, and by the big numbers... Pac-Man, way more successful than League of Legends. But if you think of uh, a, a, a brand's presence as kind of a gravity well in people's mind, uh, yes, a lot of people surface level care about the the yellow puck that eats dots, but they deeply care about Le- League of Legends, which makes that a particularly good property to capture and convert. Because I suspect that if you play League of Legends a lot, like for example, if there's a Hearthstone cartoon, I couldn't not watch it because I am deep enough in that gravity well that they will instantly capture me if, if in that regard. Um, although, uh, but weirdly, I did not watch the Warcraft movie, even though I liked World of Warcraft and Warcraft or whatever. Ah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I have been, from the outside looking in, uh, noticing that obviously people who play League of Legends uh, seem pretty positive about Arcane, uh, which they wouldn't necessarily have to, you know, the, they, they could have watched it and said, ah, this is a, a disaster and it's a besmirch on, on the name of League of Legends, but they didn't. They, they, they seem to like it. And people who don't play a lot of League of Legends, but play similar games like World of Warcraft, right, seem to also like it. So I think that's that's the positive for both League of Legends and Netflix is that they created a show that hits with the audience, but also hits with audiences who like similar things. I like fantasy worlds, you know, built around these kinds of characters, these kinds of stories. Uh, they're into it too. At least that's my impression. Just looking at the kind of folks who are saying nice things about it. Uh, it hits with the audience and it has the chemical property known as being good. Right. There's this indefinable, this intangible uh, element called uh, not crappy. <laughs> yes, they exactly. It to, has the property yeah. of being not crappy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, deadline sources say Amazon Studios is nearing a deal to make a TV series based on Mass Effect. We don't know whether it has that intangible or not. Uh, it's not even a, a show yet. Amazon Studios head Jennifer Salk uh, said its new fantasy series Wheel of Time which is based on books uh, called of the Wheel of Time series, is one of its top five series of all times. So the studio is, quote, continuing to invest in fantasy genre of all kinds. And EA seems to be focused on making a TV series out of Mass Effect one way or another. Uh, it told Business Insider earlier this year that it's not a matter of if, but when, that Mass Effect will become a show. And The Verge noted uh, an Instagram post from February by Henry Cavill, with a blurred out corner of a printout of the Wikipedia for Mass Effect 3, whatever that means. Uh, next year, we have a Halo series coming to Paramount Plus, Last of Us coming to HBO. Uh, we've got Arcane, which isn't live action, it's animated, but are we headed towards quality live action video games? To be honest, television series? Uh, I, th- I think, I think, uh, the the I think the canary in the coal mine is the Last of Us show because mm. we're getting closer to it. I mean, The Witcher, while not based on the video game, video game made the story popular. Ancillary, it's based on, sure. yeah, exactly right. Um, there's nothing that uh, you know we're we're about to see the Mario movie, et cetera, et cetera. There's nothing to prevent it from being from having the qualities known as being not crappy. Yes. <laughs> like, like that's a chemical property. I, I, I think we just need to start seeing more of that talent come in who gets the world. And, uh, uh, and I, I, I'm out of the prediction business on whether or not it'll be good or not. But, uh, but I certainly, uh, especially in a world where we're about to find out whether or not the last of us crushes, if it does crush and it brings the story that's so beloved, in the video game to the the, the 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 medium screen, then 
uh, this seems to me like uh, I would definitely be poised to strike with other properties that are in the similar vein. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny, just just before we move off of the quality of not crappy, you know, we're we're partially joking around, partially not. The fact of the matter is, and I try to always remind myself of this, there was a time, and I think those of us in Gen X uh, I, are, are subject to this bias a little more than others, but but there was a time that people did make things that they didn't care if they were crappy because there were only three channels. And even with cable, there were only 20 channels and most people only watched three or four channels. So you could get away with it. If it, if it was just okay, it might do good enough to make a few billion dollars. Uh, we're not in that time anymore. I don't think there are a lot of companies who intentionally try to make crappy stuff. Uh, so so the, the, the criticism of like, yeah, they think they have a formula and they could just throw anything out there. I don't know about you, Brian. I don't get the sense that that's the way it works anymore. It did at one point, but I don't think it does. I, I, In which case, the not crappy becomes more of a like, how do we do that? Uh, I 100% agree because structurally, the formula for a mega hit, and, and it's fascinating to really sit with this as we watch uh, through many episodes of Miami Vice, where it's like somewhere somebody said, uh, it's Friday night, put a butt on the screen and people will watch. And they're right. And that's why there's yeah. weird extended shots of ladies' butts. Uh, and, and and it did work. And uh, same thing with early 80s sitcoms. It's like, or not sitcoms, uh, uh, bad comedy movies. It's like, don't really care if it's that funny or not. Just at some point, uh, a, a lady takes her top off. And uh, and they were right. That's how you made money. It, it, it could have the property of being crappy. But as long as it delivered on certain things, you could get away with it. And I think you're right, especially as... There's little more precious than true fandom and that passion that you get from people now, and you must not mess with that. We've seen uh, we've seen the 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 viper bite of of a fandom scorned, and uh, I think that uh, even the suits have gotten wise to it. Yeah. So I so I try to remember that if I look at something, I'm like, man, I didn't enjoy that. They probably tried, and so I'm more curious, like, well, why didn't I enjoy that? Then then going right to the like those jerks tried to pull one over on me by putting, putting something crappy out. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the eyes on section. Uh, what we have been watching, Brian, starting with you. Uh, Tom, uh, if you have the means to sit with rock and roll superstar, Mike TV, who loves the Beatles as much as you do and watch the Beatles get back from Peter Jackson for two and a half hours, I highly recommend it because while you may think of yourself as imaginary friends with the Beatles, Mike TV is actually friends with all of their guitars. And he will tell you which ones he owned at which time and why he sold them to buy what amp. And it's remarkable. Uh, I was talking to Justin earlier today, Justin Robert Young, and he's kind of uncomfortable even calling it a documentary because usually documentaries have a story or mm. a take or anything. He refers to it as security cam footage. And Found footage. <laughs> it is. It is. And in 20 years, all of this will be upsampled again and made into a live VR experience. And you could physically be in the room with them. But as somebody who deeply loves not only the music of the Beatles, but the lore of the Beatles, this is like hearing uh, campfire tales uh, suddenly or, or seeing them come to life. And I'm, I'm witnessing the, uh, the, the nuanced dynamics between them. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I can't. I cannot wait to watch this. Eileen and I are both big fans uh, of the Beatles as well. If we had not been otherwise occupied this weekend, we we would have uh, watched this as well. So of course we will have to fly Mike TV out here and <laughs> make him watch it again with us. See if uh, that also wipe amazing. his mind so he sees it for yeah. the first time. So, it, it, but before before we get off of it, uh, if you had to say the the thing that made it enjoyable besides watching it with Mike, like what is the magic? Because I'm seeing a lot of positivity around it. Uh, the well, uh, number one, you get to be a fly on the wall and actually see Paul McCartney invent the song "Get Back." And mm. he, in, in since you haven't seen it, uh, boy, do they do a lot of fragmented sentences and mumbling through all this. And he's like, he starts with the riff, and he's like get back and, 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 and then he's like hey what's a real western sounding name Joe Joe jo Jackson Joe Joe Hartman Joe Joe Beefcake um, you know it, and it's so bizarre to watch it all come together and all of a sudden it's like shoot he wrote that song in like three days and it's 
like I've seen you grinned exactly like I was to see. Yeah, it. yeah. Uh, that's great. That's great. Uh, so that's get back on Disney Plus. Yes. If you're like, wait, surprisingly, where is it again? Hulu, Netflix? Nope. Disney Plus. I went to the wrong place uh, when I went to go watch it. Yeah, it's it's a little off brand for what most people think of when they think of Disney Plus. Uh, I want to check in on Star Trek Prodigy, which is on Paramount Plus. It's Nickelodeon uh, production meant for kids. So keep that in mind when I tell you my opinion on this. I am watching Star Trek Prodigy out of a sense of duty. Uh, I am watching Star Trek Prodigy because I have watched all this, all the Star Trek uh, up till now, including the animated original series. Uh, and I feel like I just, if Janeway's in it, I, I better watch it, but it's not great. Brian, I am not, I'm not loving it. It's Is okay. Uh, it's it got very on rails plots. It's got very predictable dialogue to me. It's the star Wars resistance of star Trek. Instead of starting with clone wars or rebels, they skipped straight to the one that isn't quite working. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You answered my question before I had a chance to ask it. Uh, so it feels a little too juvenile, a, a little too low rent. And that's why I said, keep in mind, this is meant for kids. It may be that unlike star Wars rebels, which kind of appealed to all ages, even though it was seven plus, uh, their star Trek prodigy is like, yeah, we don't care 50 year old man, whether you like this or not, it's, it's the kids who are going to enjoy it. And they are, and, and that, that would be a perfectly fine answer to this, but, but yeah, it's, it, the plots are not complex and appealing enough to me and and the reactions and and the situations are are very predictable in, in a very kid show kind of way so there may be kids out there that, that just adore this because they love this or that that character and the situations are new to them i don't know yeah when star trek is i mean star trek is a dad's kind of property and when it's at its best it becomes something that like for example lower decks succeeds in being this dad's like I, yeah. I force my 12 year old or 13 year old daughter. I don't know how old she is. Uh, I, 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 uh, she's about to be 14. Wow. Um, uh, uh, I, I make her watch episodes because I know the comedy stands and because I've watched Bryce who is not enamored of Star Trek one way or the other, uh, and, and seems to, uh, not hate lower decks question mark. I liked it. Okay, That's good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I right. liked it. I liked it. <laughs> uh, Trump poll asks, is it, the next generation season one level of bad, not even, you can't compare us. That's like saying, does this orange taste like an apple? Uh, it's, <laughs> it's like comparing an apple and an orange. Brian. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, a, a quick shout out. Uh, I, I, I don't often do this, but I called Tom before the show and I said, Hey, there's something I might want to mention that I saw, but I would like you to watch the first two minutes of it and tell me what you think. Um, it's, it's, uh, there are three seasons of it. Uh, I somehow totally missed it. It's an Adult Swim original. It's called Dream Core LLC. It's got uh, uh, Colin Robinson from uh, What We Do in the Shadows in it. It also has Uncle Rico from uh, uh, Napoleon Dynamite in it. It's got, um, uh, it, it uses the waking lifestyle of uh, uh, rotoscoping uh, animation on it. Uh, they're short, short episodes, like 12 minutes a pop. Oh, Stephen Merchant is the voice of a robot in it. <laughs> and a <laughs> consulting producer on it, which he, he always gets his name in if he, if he thinks something's worth having, having his name on, right? So that's a good sign too, I think. It is so delightfully, utterly bizarre. And you're never more than maybe 15 seconds from a what? <laughs> like, it's so weird. It's wonderful. I really dug it. What, what did you think, Tom? Uh, yeah. I, so, so, so Brian encouraged me to, to, to watch a little bit of the first episode, just, just to get a flavor of it, uh, which I did on the phone with him. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I see. Oh, that's Stephen Merchant voice. Okay, cool. This, I like the vibe. I can see why you like it. Uh, and then I went and, uh, sat down to, to watch Bob's burgers, which I usually do in between DTNS and cord killers, uh, on a Monday and said, well, let me just, I don't have much left in this. Let me give it a try. Uh, and so I watched the rest of episode one of Dream Corp. And then uh, the way Dream Corp LLC ends in episode one, I was like, well, that's an interesting situation. They put that character in. Let me just see where that goes in the next episode. And watched all of, all of episode two uh, and then said, well, gosh, I really should uh, read the emails that Brian put in the rundown before the show. So I won't watch episode three yet, but it's only 10 minutes up, huh? but I really should go. So yeah, I, I'm hooked. I liked it. Yeah, it's really weird. Really weird. All right. Bryce, what should we be on the lookout for? Hey, I've got a kind of a selfish pick for, for myself. So I've talked in the past about 
the uh, the Drive to Survive show on Netflix, the docu series about Formula One. Uh, well, uh, there's a uh, there's another racing pick that I've got for you. So there's another racing league called Formula E, which is all electric cars. And it's not the most popular. It's been around for a few years now. Uh, but they just put out a Drive to Survive style um, docuseries out on YouTube called Unplugged, Formula E Unplugged, uh, which is a lot of the same stuff. Like, let's cover last year's season and focus in on the drivers and figure out what their stories are. Where did they come from last season? What is the dynamic of the team that they're in? How well does it look like the teams are going to do? Um and on top of that, um, that that's how I found out about this. And then I also found out that they just have all of their races from from this past year, 2021, up on YouTube. Um, no. So you could just watch them. They're like 45 minutes or so. Um, and uh, it, it's interesting because Formula E is like a very different type of racing. The cars are very similar. So it's so there's a lot more um, mixing of, of how well any given team does. So I thought that was interesting. If you're looking for uh, a, a new racing thing, uh, Formula E has got a bunch of stuff on YouTube, including Unplugged, uh, which is a docuseries. It's like 15, 15 minute episodes or so uh, on YouTube. And it looks like their 2022 live coverage may be going through CBS Sports and CBS Sports HQ. Um, so if you've got something we should be on the lookout for, though, email us, cordkillers at gmail.com. Thank you. Uh, Brian, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Oh, yes. That time of the year that we all upgrade our systems by going to doghousesystems.com slash rogue and get a free SSD drive and also support us. But uh, uh, we were chatting before the show. It's also Cyber Monday as we record this. And um, I, I, I'm in a really weird spot uh, with the online store scamstuff.com. And we'll explore this more at a future date. But I, I suddenly found myself... I, it hurt so bad last year as a consumer being screwed over uh, on 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 shipping stuff and stuff not arriving in time for Christmas that I was uncomfortable doing any kind of marketing stuff. Uh, we we dropped our prices down in back in October to give everyone a head start. We we went to Black Friday pricing and all of our marketing has been we have nine of these and we could ship them today. And as a matter of fact, we've actually created a special list of everything that is in stock that we can definitely ship today over at scamstuff.com. Oh, that's great. So, so in other words, uh, go there, not just for deals, but for like, I'll actually get this instead of what happened to me when I was shopping for a gift earlier today and I had it in my cart and I was about to buy it. Then I'm like, Oh wait, that says it's not shipping till January 26th. Uh, that, that won't be appropriate for the holiday I'm buying it for. So yeah, that's, that, that's great. Uh, it's hard because, because there are a lot of things that I think I could get to you by Christmas, but I can't tell you about them. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I really thought that you did Black Friday in October because that's when Black Friday in the 20s happened. I thought it was like honoring the history of the uh, stock market collapse. That too. Both. Yeah. We honor. <laughs> let's, let's take a moment to remember uh, those stocks that have fallen before us. <laughs> and that's right. why we keep our stuff in stock over at scamstuff.com. Yes, the stocks are falling because you're buying these great deals. Uh, Scamstuff.com. All right, let's move on to the front lines. Front lines. Anime legend Hayao Miyazaki retired in 2013. Uh, he's missed, but his his works stand in testament to his great career. Uh, this week, anime legend Hayao Miyazaki told the New York Times he's coming out of retirement. Again, this is not the first time he's done it. He's going to make a new film with Studio Ghibli. Why? He said to the New York Times, quote, because I wanted to. Uh, the new film is a fantasy based on a 1937 novel about a 15-year-old boy whose father has recently died. Apparently, he was a childhood favorite of Miyazaki's himself. <laughs> so uh, Bryce added a note that said he did it again. Does, that, does this mean he's pulled this stunt before? Many, many times. <laughs> the last like three or four, I want to say last four, few Ghibli films, he said he would retire, and then he comes back a couple of years. <laughs> That's amazing. He means it every time. And oh, then they just pull him back. In. Sure, he does. I'm sure he does. 
this is one of those things that, that, that as soon as you hear it, you're going to say, oh, of course. But uh, uh, there's a real-life squid game, and it's happening on YouTube. Uh, uh, the channel Mr. Beast uh, does this sort of thing all the time. He's always giving away big cash prizes for endurance stunts, so it's kind of a no-brainer. The Mr. Beast version features 456 people competing in show-accurate competitions like Red Light, Green Light. But he's, uh, I'm using air quotes here, only giving away $456,000. Also, nobody dies, hopefully. Well, yeah, yeah. There's the, uh, it, it does not appear that anyone, uh, uh, that there's any firearms involved yeah. uh, in these games. Yeah. Don't want to get too spoilery if you haven't seen Squid Game, both of you that haven't. ESPN's pay TV distribution fell again by 10% to 76 million U.S. households. This is the new watch that we're on. We're on, we're on ESPN, ESPN plus Venn diagram uh, watch. Uh, so the 76 million includes traditional cable and satellite as well as over the top. So if you got YouTube TV or sling and you got ESPN on it, you count as part of that 76 million ESPN plus ended the fiscal year up 66% to 17 million subscribers. Now those numbers are headed toward a world where all of ESPN's programming is available on its own package, probably ESPN plus or, or some derivation thereof. Uh, but that gap's still wide, 76 million to 17 million. So it's not going to happen anytime soon. Tom, if you told me that uh, 10, if 10 years ago, you told me that I would read the phrase uh, ESPN's pay TV distribution fell again, and I would have to pause to think pay TV distribution. Oh, they mean cable. Okay. Like, like, like that's how far back that feels to me now. Yeah. They, and, and, and that's why I had to be like, you also count if you're streaming, there's not a lot of people doing that either. 76 million, 76 million is like, that's the ESPN number. The ESPN number is always the big number, right? It's like almost all the household number. I mean, I mean, um, I, I don't want to pick a fight with ESPN or nothing, but it's a little bit like seeing the out of shape jock at the at the high school reunion. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what are you up to now? About seventy six million? <laughs> like, oh boy! Outlander season six will return to start Sunday, March six at nine p.m. There's even a new version of the opening theme out there for you to enjoy in advance. Ah, yes. Apple TV Plus also released a trailer for a new Peanuts holiday special. Uh, Snoopy presents For All Lang Syne. It's coming out in the middle of of December. And Chucky has been renewed for season two on USA and Sci-Fi. The season finale airs November 30th and then hits Peacock on December 1st. Let's get to the dispatches from the front. Ooh, Tom, we were light on emails. I, I, I know everyone's got opinions and we want to hear them. Yeah, Ulrika wrote back uh, and said, as I mentioned when I wrote in October to complain about how hard it is to watch baseball in Iowa, I have canceled Netflix. Why? Because I wasn't watching Netflix. But there's there's more to this explanation, which I think is fascinating. And I think it shows kind of where a lot of people's mindset is. Uh, Ulrika says, I actually tried to cancel a couple of years ago when I talked to my kids However, my daughter said she and her dorm mate were binging Jane the Virgin together. My suggestion was that they could probably find a different show to enjoy, uh, but that was met with skepticism, so I kept the subscription. Since then, we have enjoyed Netflix programming on occasion. We watched Shira and the Princess of Power together with the younger siblings when my college kid was home, for example. I expected this trend to continue when the kiddo was living at home for her summer internship. I thought for sure Shadow and Bone would be our summer show, and we'd probably kick up, uh, pick up Gunpowder Milkshake while we were at it. And then we just didn't. The kids found a way to stream a BTS reality show on our LG smart TV. Uh, That's probably run BTS. And that was their together watch. I don't remember the last thing I watched on Netflix, but it's been a while. My plan for now is to pick up short-term subscriptions and keep them only as long as we're actually watching. I thought I would start with Disney Plus, but Hulu's 99 cent a month Black Friday deal was too good to pass up. I'll watch only Murders in the Building, and then if nothing else piques my interest, I'll move on. Meanwhile, Netflix is really sad to see we go. I canceled on October 15th. Subscription ran out on October 21st. Since then, they've emailed me approximately once every two days, inviting me back. We're ready when you are. Try Netflix again today. Give us another chance. And my favorite, it's been 16 days. 
Dude. Uh, thank uh, you, Ulrika. This is my favorite method is every quarter cancel everything. And the moment you want anything, just buy it again. Look at your numbers at the end of the year. You'll save money and you'll put pressure where it's needed. Yeah. And I love the fact that there's like, a streaming service related to a particular band that the kids love. They're like, yeah, we don't need Netflix. We could just get it straight from the source. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, we also got an email from Will O'Mara saying that uh, he really dug our going back and visiting Silence of the Lambs in a post-Hannibal Watch environment and suggested that we could go back to 1986's version of Manhunter to see Brian Cox's mm. original portrayal of the character in there. Man, uh, I know we talked about Manhunter, but already it's gotten foggy in my mind. I, it, it's, it's We haven't seen... No, not Manhunter. Not not the show oh, Mindhunter. Oh, oh, sorry, I'm thinking of Mindhunter. Right, Got no, it. this oh, is yeah, a this is still film Hannibal. called Man Oh Hunter. shoot! So the, yeah, oh, well then yes, I, I'm down for that. Yeah. Well, okay, don't let us forget Will, Bryce, Brian, <laughs> yes. myself, because uh, next time we have a slot in the spoiler in time. I totally misread to that as Mindhunter. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, well, folks, that brings us to the the uh, all-too-soon end of another Cord Killers. But don't worry, there's more to come. Uh, and in fact, there's old episodes if you haven't caught up on the old ones. Cordkillers.com. Our email address is cordkillers at gmail.com. We're live on twitch.tv slash nightattack. Also carried on diamondclub.tv, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We'll talk to you next time. Hey, Tom Merritt, what's going yes. on? I'm just hanging out here watching this scroll go by. Uh, what are you doing? Trying to set up a bit where we thank our beautiful, beautiful patrons, all these wonderful names. I'm sorry, names. I'm too distracted looking at these beautiful, beautiful patron names going by. Look at that one. I mean, if you wanted to be one of these people, patreon.com slash cordkillers would be the place to go. I mean, they're, yeah. scra they're, they're scratching our itch, like, because we're I think addicted. as long as it's consensual, like, we're fine. We're addicted to their money. And love. Might as well face it. Well, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>